Hello, everyone. It is Friday, April 24th, 2020, and this is Liberty Church Audio. I'm Pastor John. Have you ever cringed at the triteness of Christian phrases? Early in parts of my college ministry, we'd share notes and letters with other team members. And one of the team members liked to end all his notes with the phrase, God is good. So he'd sign his name, and then he would say, God is good, every time. And for some reason, that didn't sit well with me. And then years later, I saw in Christian movies people saying, God is good all the time. And then the other person was supposed to say, and all the time, God is good. So why did I find myself cringing at these exchanges? Well, it's probably a personal failing. I don't like being supposed to say anything. But in this particular case, I've struggled with the problem of evil for decades. I can remember it starting probably when I was 14. And I struggled with it even in ministry. And I I don't mean to be a critic when I watch these kinds of movies. I've learned that the easiest thing to do is be a critic when the artists, like movie makers, are in the ring trying to make something meaningful. So I applaud all artists who dare But the issue of God's goodness can't be handled in a trite way. It doesn't fit on a bumper sticker. And saying God is good can be expressed so glibly that you wonder if people have even thought about it very deeply, thought about the problem of evil. And I think that's why I cringed, because these things can be said, and there's so much depth to the problem and even deeper depth to the answer that you can't just say it in a trite phrase. Like I said, maybe I'm being too judgmental, but it's not about whether God is good in the face of a flat tire or in the face of a late arrival to an airport where you might miss your flight. It's about whether God is good in the face of a holocaust or child abuse or childhood cancer or pandemics. The goodness of God can even be a deeper question than whether God exists. Most people know he exists, but the question itself can make the dividing line between atheists and disciples, and even threaten to turn disciples into atheists. So if seriously considered, the problem of evil and the question of whether God is good are heart-rending issues. One of the reasons why it doesn't fit on a bumper sticker is that if God is not good, then where do we go to hide? Where does a soul find refuge if the omnipotent, omnipresent being isn't good? What happens if evil is omnipresent? What happens if cruelty is omnipotent? And then if God is not there, then where where do things like faith, hope, and love come from? And especially love. And where does love find its meaning if it's merely chemical reactions in our brain and therefore meaningless? I'm not ready to turn all of existence into meaningless materialism in order to solve the problem of evil. And then if you want to flip the issue around and you can see and make a case that God doesn't exist because there's too much evil in the world, then then where does all the good come from? Where does that come from? So it's not something that is easily handled. 
Now, the scriptures do say that God is good. For example, Psalm 106 verse 1 says, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Psalm 145, 4-7 says, One generation shall commend your works to another, and all declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty, and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness. So I just want to step through a few things on the goodness of God from within a biblical framework. So first of all, we know that God is holy. There is nothing in his nature competing with his desire to be good. He doesn't feel the tug of war of conscience like we do. And when we can struggle, why, why do I have to fight to be good? Why can't I just do something bad or be evil and not feel bad about it? Why, why the struggle? God doesn't have that. Also, his goodness is fueled with infinite strength. God is omnipotent and does not get tired of anything, including being good. If God is good, his intentions are good and backed by infinite power. He never wavers from his good intentions. He doesn't break focus. He doesn't sleep on the job. The God of Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. Also, God is love, and that means he wants what's ultimately best for us. And that desire never gets clouded by any personal selfishness on his part. Now, if God is good, then he has to be just. That means he has to oppose evil with everything that is in him. And the, and the stakes are high. The consequences are high. His opposition to evil is fierce and eternal. But God is a complete person. He's not like us. He can give full expression to justice and love at the same time. And that love, which is enabled by omnipotence and the full expression of his will, means that the cross of Christ was inevitable. In the face of sin and evil, the crucifixion of Christ had to be. It was part of his plan from before the foundation of the world because it was part of his nature. And he didn't hold back. He didn't half step into the issue. He didn't glance off of it. He went right down to the depths of it, surpassed every evil and suffering that we could experience, and went deeper still. He allowed the reality of everything contrary to his nature to exist. He allowed evil to exist, and not only to exist, but to express all its hateful power. He allowed evil to aim all that power at the greatest vulnerability of his heart, and Christ died on the cross. God gave his son. Good and evil collided on the cross. And that's why, that's why I say evil took its kill shot at everything good. Evil took its kill shot towards the Prince of Life, and Christ received that kill shot. But he wasn't a victim. He willingly entered into the full weight of evil's reality. He stepped in front of the train, he dove in front of the bullet, he jumped onto the grenade, he plumbed the depths of hell, or at least its equivalents, when he was on the cross. And all went quiet, all was silent, at least for three days. Then he rose, and he was declared to be the Son of God in power, vindicated and triumphant, yet humble at the same time. And so that makes him worthy. So which is better, never to have allowed evil to exist, or to allow it to exist and express all its power and still fail? 
So in all of this, we see God's goodness. Wayne Grudem, in his systematic theology, defines the goodness of God as meaning that he is the final standard of good and that all that God is and does is worthy of approval. So when good intentions are backed up by infinite strength, we, only, we can say that he's good and that also he is faithful. He doesn't break from his good plan. He doesn't break from those he loves, and he will be faithful and true to us in the end. Over Easter, we watched a stage production on the life of Christ by a company named Sight and Sound up in Pennsylvania. I'd heard of their work before, but had never watched anything they'd done. And we were, we were given the opportunity to watch a video of a stage play. Now, have you ever watched a video of a stage play? It's horrible. It's always horrible. It's never good. But this was excellent. They figured out how to film a stage play. And it was interesting to me that the actors were doing two different kinds of art. They were doing stage acting as well as film acting. And somehow they pulled it off. It was really good. And how they showed Jesus walking on the water completely took me in. So I've been thinking about Jesus walking on the water. And that story of when the disciples are in the boat and the storm is howling, the waves are rolling. He comes walking to them on the water. Of course, this is showing him to be Lord over creation, but it also shows him to be undisturbed by the storm. And when they were looking out on that storm, they thought that they had seen a ghost because the, the appearance of Christ there was truly unworldly. It was otherworldly. And I think we can understand by this story too that with the metaphor of the storm being the presence of evil tossing us around, Christ isn't brought down or tossed up by the waves. He's not brought down or tossed up by anything that evil does. So again, which is greater, to never allow the storm to come or to let the storms howl their worst and find that they still can't take him down. They still can't reach him because they can't touch the truly good. And even better, what if Christ allows us to walk securely in the storm by simply keeping our eyes on him? But I struggle with that because in another sense, Jesus was completely of this world too. He was vulnerable to its physical limitations and vulnerable to its pain. That's why we say that he was incarnated. He did take on flesh. That means he took on human flesh so that he could have a nervous system completely vulnerable to pain, to hardened fists smashing into his face, the whip of the cat of nine tails. He felt the metal spikes, the splinters on the cross, then he felt the wrath of God against evil. If we ever thought that storm waves could swallow him up, it would be on the cross. And he did go down. He went down. And then he rose and he brings us up with him. So I think that the cross is the only satisfying answer to whether God is good or not. The cross was the expression of God's nature. And there are mysteries why God would allow evil, but evil made its kill shot and still lost. Evil has been uprooted, and we are simply waiting for its leaves to fade. So if you struggle with the problem of evil, and you can find a measure of resolution because of our own limited perspective by looking at the cross, then we can, we can give our allegiance to God. We can give our allegiance 
to the good because we know it's there, we know it's personal, we know it's present and has not left us alone. And we can say with Augustine of Hippo, late have I loved you, beauty so old and so new. Late have I loved you, you were with me and I was not with you. You called and cried out and shattered my deafness. You were radiant and resplendent. You put to flight my blindness. You can see and hear Christ on the cross being good to you. And when that happens, we can avail ourselves of the presence of God. If we really can come into the presence of God, it undoes all our anxiety about evil. It brings healing and peace without even changing the circumstance. It's the reality that makes all other realities trivialities. And it gives hope that is deeper than time, it's unhindered by time, and it traces its lines right into eternity. There's a reason the poets and the songwriters and the movie makers have to repeat themselves to try to express the goodness of God. There are still not enough songs to do it justice. We are going to have church this Sunday, April 26th at 11 a.m., but it's going to be drive-in church, and we've made a, an announcement on our Facebook page, so I encourage you to go there and look at that. But just the bullet points real quickly, we want everybody to know, to know that the, the service starts at 11. The building will be closed, and restrooms will not be available. Uh, right now, we're still under the, uh, the social distancing guidelines. So please stay in your car. We're gonna keep the service short. It's a 30 minute service, but it will be broadcast over our parking lot. So turn your car radio to 89.3 FM as you come in. Also, please follow the parking attendants. They're gonna point you to where to park so you can get the best view. We're gonna to try to get tall, tall vehicles like trucks and vans in the back and regular cars more towards the front. Uh, also, there's no pressure to come. Stay home if you're uncomfortable or unsure about getting out, especially if you're feeling sick. So this is the first step to a phased-in reopening effort towards church, and we're just taking it one step at a time because there's a lot of uncertainty. And just to be honest, we don't know what we're going to be able to do step by step, but this is the next one that we can see. For those that can't come Sunday morning, we will still have our podcast for this Sunday at libertypastor.com. But we do look forward to seeing everyone who can come. I'm going to finish today with the last part of Psalm 106, starting at verse 40. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against his people, and he abhorred his heritage. He gave them into the hand of the nations, so that those who hated them ruled over them. Their enemies oppressed them, and they were brought into subjection under their power. Many times he delivered them, but they were rebellious in their purposes and were brought low through their iniquity. Nevertheless, he looked upon their distress when he heard their cry. For their sake he remembered his covenant. He relented according to the abundance of his steadfast love. He caused them to be pitied by all those who held them captive. Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the nations, that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. 
Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. And let all the people say, Amen. Praise the Lord. And we say, Amen. Amen.